This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 29. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. Our soldiers are not in harm's way, as they shouldn't be, as two countries fight over land. That has nothing to do with us. Our troops are not in harm's way? This is beyond false. It's another betrayal of our troops. Our commander-in-chief has a sacred obligation to tell the truth about what our troops face. It's an obligation to them, to their families, and to the public. And Trump is betraying it for political reasons yet again. Trump also said the PKK is worse than ISIS. He said that out loud and again repeated the lie that our troops don't have ammunition. He repeats that almost daily now. So the more Donald Trump talks, the worse it gets. By the hour, he's endangering our national security and our troops. And this week, we've seen some of the most reckless language of a presidency that's been overflowing with reckless language for the last few years. And he's done some damaging press conferences, but the one that he did with the prime minister of Italy might have been the most damaging one we've ever seen. The world is watching. Our allies are terrified. Our troops are jeopardized. And our enemies are celebrating. This is not a joke. This is no laughing matter. It's not a comedy. It's a tragedy. But later in the show, we'll find ways to laugh about it all with Samantha B. So stick around for that. Because Mark Twain once said, the source of all humor is not laughter, but sorrow. We'll have humor because we damn sure have some sorrow. And we damn sure have some madness. See, madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. <laughs> Syria is spiraling into chaos. Our Kurdish allies are being slaughtered. The world is watching. Our allies are terrified. And our enemies are celebrating. And meanwhile, here at home, impeachment is steaming forward like a locomotive. Rudy Giuliani's associates are getting arrested, and it's looking more and more like he might be next, and he won't be able to FaceTime me for bail money. And yeah, I called it. He might have actually even cursed the Yankees, who are down to the Astros right now two games to one. They've lost every game since the one Giuliani attended. But beyond the carnage, there's also some good news out there, reason to be happy. We gave you some of it in the last episode with Mark Roberts from OAR and our focus on music. And there's more reason to smile in this episode. Joining us later is someone who's helped us smile through the pain for the last 16 years, through the ups and downs, 
And now through three presidencies, Samantha Bee has kept America smiling, laughing, thinking, and acting. She's a conscience. She's a role model for many and a patriot. She's also an immigrant. Yet another example of how an America that welcomes foreigners is stronger, better, and happier. She was a core member of The Daily Show for 12 years, and then she launched her own trailblazing show, Full Frontal, with Samantha Bee, and it's hilarious. But there's lots in America right now that's not. Stories where attention must be paid. A number of critical issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. No joke. The madness is getting worse and worse by the day. The madness is scarier than the Joker. It's scarier than Michael Myers. It's scarier than Freddy Krueger. It's scarier even than Pennywise, that fucked up clown from It. And it's scarier than Giuliani. What Trump is doing daily is scarier than all that. And with more and more terrifying and troubling news being revealed by the minute. But before we get to our really funny and inspiring conversation with Samantha B., who joined us fresh off a trip to the DMV, there are some issues you need to know about or know more about that are impacting our country in critical ways. And the biggest story of all is the chaos surrounding Syria. And it is no laughing matter. But it's bigger than Syria. It's about the entire Middle East. It's about our national security and about the security for the entire globe. For real. The Middle East is always like a sucking chest wound in the body of the world. It can pull everything in, and the stakes couldn't be higher. But it's also like a Jenga game. You know the game with the stacks of wooden pieces? And the more you pull out, the more shaky the whole thing gets. And Trump, by abandoning our Kurdish allies, he's clumsily yanked out a very important piece. And he's done it like a drunk asshole at the bar who comes stumbling over into a game of Jenga that's been going on for an hour and being played by people he doesn't even know. The people playing the game are not his friends. He wasn't invited. But he comes storming in, drunk, shoving his sweaty body all in between a bunch of people he doesn't know. And he pushes his fat, nasty, meaty hands covered in sauce from his hot wings in the middle of the Jenga game of global stability. And he wrecks the game, gets hot sauce all over the pieces, and pukes on the table. Not only is the game over, but nobody even wants to play anymore. But then he tries to fix it. We are ready to go on a moment's notice to put on sanctions. And as I've said, these sanctions could be starting small. They could be maximum pressure, which would destroy the Turkish economy. But he's not fixing it. You can't restart the Jenga game when the pieces are covered in sweat and hot wing sauce and puke. But he tries to put it back together. And he blames the whole thing on the people playing foosball on the other side of the bar. And then he demands everyone clap for him and buy him a drink afterwards. That's what Trump did after the abandonment of the Kurds by trying to impose these sanctions on Turkey and talk tough. He's been getting slammed from all sides. But no, General Jim Mattis is not speaking out. At this point, we should all give up on him. At this point, 
the New York Jets have a better chance of making the Super Bowl than Mattis does of taking on Trump. So no, Mattis will not be speaking out, no matter how bad it gets. But retired General John Allen will. This is just chaos. We, we don't do strategy, and we shouldn't be doing foreign policy by tweet. And this is what you get uh, when you have uh, single phone calls between world leaders occurring and no, when they put the phone down, no further coordination within the U.S. government. Our national security uh, mechanism in this country uh, was largely surprised by that phone call and surprised by the tweet that called for the withdrawal of American forces and surprised by the president's uh, threats against Turkey to destroy its economy. Yep. Retired General John Allen was the U.S. envoy to the anti-ISIS coalition, and his assessment of Trump and his madness on Turkey is a bullseye. It is chaos, mayhem, madness. It's not a reality TV show. It's war. And the ripple effects of Trump's shameful decision to abandon the Kurds and greenlight Turkey have only just begun. This is all going to get worse. And as always, it's not the politicians who pay the price. It's the troops. And Trump's lying again. He says he's bringing our troops home. That's what he says. He says he's bringing our troops home. He wants to end our wars. And that's why he's pulling our troops out of Syria. But that's not true. Check this out. You probably missed it. This week, I've been in dialogue with the Saudi defense minister and other partners about this latest attack. To prevent further escalation, Saudi Arabia requested international support to help protect the kingdom's critical infrastructure. The United Arab Emirates has also requested assistance. In response to the kingdom's request, the president has approved the deployment of U.S. forces, which will be defensive in nature and primarily focused on air and missile defense. We will also work to accelerate the delivery of military equipment to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the UAE to enhance their ability to defend themselves. The Pentagon is sending about 2,000 more troops to Saudi Arabia, including squadrons of fighter jets and air defense missile batteries. So in case you missed it, Trump's talk about bringing our troops home was just more bullshit. If we removed only 500 troops in Syria, the net increase in U.S. troops in the Middle East in the last 48 hours is roughly 400%. But with regard to Esper's blame, none of this would be happening if we didn't abandon the Kurds. Make no mistake, Turkey would not be doing this if the U.S. didn't pull out. Don't get it twisted. Our commitment there was working. And Esper and this gaslighting line of argument are pathetic and shameful. And Esper is pathetic and shameful. He's not defending our allies. He's not defending our troops. He's not defending our homeland security. He's defending Trump. And this interview makes it crystal clear. He's the most political secretary of defense we've ever seen. And beyond the people in the administration, there aren't too many people backing Trump up. except. Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, and often the first person to volunteer to be an asshole. He backed up Trump. This was his decision, but I agree completely that it was the best thing, not only for our troops, but it's also the best way to adhere to the Constitution. The Constitution says you don't declare a war unless Congress votes on it. And who are we going to declare war against? Our ally Turkey, the Free Syrian Army that used to be our ally, Assad. It's a sort of a messy situation. But he was told by the Turks that they were coming one way or another, 
and they had 50 troops. 50 troops don't stop 10,000 troops. You don't go to war with 50 troops. I think he made the right decision. No, Rand Paul, he didn't make the right decision. Not even close. Rand Paul went on to tweet, if we can save one U.S. soldier from losing their life or limbs in another senseless Middle Eastern war, it's worthwhile. So now Rand Paul cares about one American soldier losing their life. He's hiding a catastrophically bad policy decision behind this bullshit tactic of concern for one American soldier. It's manipulative at best. You know, this move may cost more American lives later, especially if our allies worldwide abandon our troops now preemptively before we abandon them. And where was Rand Paul's concern for one American life when he voted to block support for thousands of dying 9-11 first responders? some of them who still serve in the National Guard and Reserve right now. So I got no time for Rand Paul or his bullshit. Neither does Rob Sarah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to the previous episodes with 9-11 first responder and hero Rob Sarah and see about our fight for 9-11 first responders that Rand Paul tried to stop and failed. But if you're explaining, you're losing. And Rand Paul is explaining. And Secretary Esper is explaining. And Trump is explaining. And he's rightly getting hammered on this despicable betrayal of the Kurds from all sides. There's not a single move that Trump's made in his entire presidency that's cut more deeply or more broadly politically into the military and veterans community. And it's getting worse. James Laporta at Newsweek had an exclusive that found that U.S. forces are actually set to aid the Russian military in a battlefield handoff. So the U.S. military did a hasty exit from Syria's northern city of Man Beach, and they were set to help the Russians establish themselves there as the Turks attempted to defeat the Kurds. So it was essentially a handover. It's a quick out. Our troops are out and the Russians are in. So let's break this down. The Russians attacked our elections and, in my view, waged an act of war. And now our president is ordering our military to literally hand over to them land that we held on a battlefield. We are handing over the Gaidon to the Russians. Is everyone seeing this? And it gets worse. Apparently, this withdrawal included removing weapons, vehicles, classified equipment, and leaving just about everything else. And so it will get worse. Fast. Morale in the military is suffering. Trump has betrayed not only the Kurds, but our American troops standing beside him. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially now. This is what President Mayhem has left for our troops to handle. And by the way, I'd love to see a count of how many tax dollars were wasted on the stuff we're leaving behind. There is no strategy. There is no coordination. There is no respect. There is no plan. Trump has no plan. No plan whatsoever. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. The entire Trump presidency is about the dog that caught the car. And he has no idea what to do with it. We can only hope that Congress has a plan. And this week, the House voted to oppose Trump's decision to withdraw troops from Syria, 354 to 60. Well, that's a nice start. But they got to go further and exhaust all options. And just because I'm keeping count and I want you to as well, Four House members didn't vote yes or no. They voted present 
on the president's decision to withdraw troops from Syria. And I want you to know who they are. Amash, an independent from Michigan. Gibbs, a Republican from Ohio. Heiss, a Republican from Georgia. And Roy, a Republican from Texas. I think they're cowards. 60 House Republicans also voted no on the joint resolution opposing the president's decision to withdraw troops from Syria. And those folks are either idiots, partisans, hacks, or cowards. We can only hope that they have a plan in Congress, but hope is not a course of action. And the only course of action outside of impeachment that will really change our trajectory is the 2020 election. And it's been a big week for that. The Dem debate was this week, and it was the biggest ever. Here's a summary. It was a good night for Pete Buttigieg, for Amy Klobuchar, for Andrew Yang, for the healthcare debate, and for moderate Dems. Bad night for Elizabeth Warren, for Kamala Harris, and for the Kurds. Kind of a push for the rest. The big winner? Donald Trump. The Dems again focused on each other more than him. And another big winner? Turkish President Erdogan. And there's still a question of whether or not these debates will matter at all. Reminder, the next debate after this one is coming up next month, November 20th in Georgia. And eight candidates have qualified for that one so far. Joe Biden, if he makes it that far. Bernie Sanders, fresh off an endorsement from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the squad, who might have to carry him to the debate if he has another heart attack. Elizabeth Warren, who is now clearly the new frontrunner. Kamala Harris, who seems to be fading fast. Pete Buttigieg, who overall had a pretty strong debate and I think is positioning himself to kind of be Biden 2.0, the legacy of the moderate. Uh, Also on the stage, Rosaria Dawson's boyfriend. Sorry, I mean, Cory Booker. uh, Billionaire Tom Steyer. Yuck. I think he has no place being up there. He's basically bought his way on stage. And Andrew Yang, my favorite candidate to watch. I just think he's interesting. Now, I've shared lots of polls, and you've seen lots of polls, but most of them are national polls, and I recommend for the next few months, you ignore them. Now, they're important on some levels, but not for the primaries. Once we hit 2020, primaries are coming in hot and heavy, and it all starts in February. Sunday, February 2nd, 2020, is the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 54 is in Miami on February 2nd, and the very next day, is the Iowa caucuses. February 3rd is the Iowa caucus. February 11th, the New Hampshire primary. Then February 22nd is Nevada. February 29th is the South Carolina primary. And then March 3rd is Super Tuesday. Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. There's also an American Samoa caucus. All on March third. That's why they call it Super Tuesday. Now, Warren leads Biden in Iowa and New Hampshire. And the polls there, I think, are really the ones to watch. So Warren's up in Iowa and New Hampshire. Biden's second, but South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg has surged into contention in Iowa, according to the latest poll. Warren has a narrow lead, according to the latest Firehouse Strategies Optimist Survey from Iowa. Warren leads at 25%, Biden at 22%, Buttigieg at 17%, Sanders at 5 
And important to note, Buttigieg is the biggest mover in the Iowa poll, gaining about nine points. Now, over in New Hampshire, Warren's got a bigger lead, 25% there, with Biden at 18, Sanders at nine. But Biden still leads big in South Carolina, where black voters make up more than half of the Democratic primary electorate. Down in South Carolina, Biden's at 32%, 16% for Warren, and 8% for Sanders. Also of note, support for impeachment among Democrats in these early voting states has blasted through the roof in recent weeks. In Iowa, 79% of Democrats support impeachment. In New Hampshire, 75% support impeachment. In South Carolina, 72%. Double-digit gains in all three states. And, interestingly, a slim majority in all three states believe Trump should be imprisoned as well as impeached. After this week... I expect that number to jump even more, and it might include you. But beyond all the 2020 madness, which can just make your head hurt, the tragedy of the White House and this presidency may get you down, but there's good news. Some news that might not make you laugh, might not make you smile, but is good news, or at least relief from the bad news nonetheless. GM, General Motors, and the United Auto Workers of America have agreed on a tentative labor contract that could finally end the month-long strike. 48,000 workers have been on strike, and the deal is likely about two weeks away from being finalized. They got to get approval from union leaders and GM's 48,000 UAW workers, who, by the way, have been on strike since September 16th. And this month-long stoppage has been the UAW's longest strike against GM since 1970. Details of what appears to be a four-year deal have not been disclosed, and it could fall through. But according to CNBC, the union members with GM are expecting to receive raises of 3 to 4% or lump sum bonuses each year. The deal will also include the addition or retention of 9,000 hourly U.S. jobs and what they're calling a clear path for temporary workers with three years or more to become full-time employees. Under the deal... GM's also going to invest $9 billion in its manufacturing operations over the life of the contract, which is going to include production of an all-electric pickup truck for a plant in Detroit that was potentially slated to be closed. UAW members are also expected to keep their health insurance, which is considered a gold standard, and requires employees to cover roughly 3% of the total costs. It's early, but it appears to be a win for working people. And reason for roughly 48,000 angry Americans to be happy Americans. There's more reason to be happy and hopeful. It's the continued tenacity of the protesters in Hong Kong. That's the sound of thousands of people protesting in Hong Kong. And they're flying American flags. There was a sea of light spilling into the streets as protesters gathered to rally for the passage of a U.S. bill that seeks to sanction those violating human rights in Hong Kong. These are brave people stepping up to raise their voices and speak out. And other brave people are also stepping up in the face of adversity, which can and should give us hope. And one of those people is Ines Cantor. If you don't know, Cantor is a Swiss-born Turkish basketball player for the Boston Celtics. He plays in the NBA. He was originally the third overall pick in the 2011 draft by the Utah Jazz. And he's a political activist, and he's noted for his criticisms of Turkish President Erdogan and his support for the Gulen movement. 
He's also a longtime professional wrestling fan and briefly held the WWE 24-7 championship. But he's one of my favorite players. He's tough. And most of all, he really gives a shit. He tweeted this week something that was really powerful. And it was just a list. It said, haven't talked to my family in five years. Jailed my dad. My siblings can't find jobs. Revoked my passport. International arrest warrant. My family can't leave the country. Got death threats every day. Got attacked and harassed. Tried to kidnap me in Indonesia. Freedom is not free. It's not free. And Ennis Cantor is fighting for it. And it's in contrast to LeBron James, who really stepped in it this week. LeBron James got huge backlash after he admonished Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey for saying he was misinformed for tweeting support for the Hong Kong protesters. So James got deep into this on the wrong side of the issue. Then he tried to clarify it with reporters and on Twitter, but he was in deep shit. Nevertheless, LeBron did not share support for Hong Kong protesters or question China's human rights record. I haven't been paying attention to it much besides of what I said and, uh, and what we're trying to do here. You know, um, you know, you know it was a tough uh, trip to China. Um, but we definitely got some basketball. That's the main reason for us to be there. And we got an opportunity to play the game that we love and play in front of our Chinese fan base and while we're there. Um, and we're happy to be home. Look, LeBron's always been a guy that's hard for me to get behind. But Cantor's not. He's brave and important, especially right now. And I'm more a fan of his than ever. He gets it. He knows it's not a game. And he also knows it's not a joke. Also no joke? Scooters. I need some Scooter Suck theme music. So if you've got suggestions, they're welcome. Until then... Here's some more news that's no laughing matter. Those scooters that maybe you've seen littering the sidewalks at a city near you all over the place may be able to drive themselves. Now, I don't mean with you on them. The idea is that when you, the humans, when we're all done driving them at the end of the day, the scooters can right themselves and roll along the <laughs> sidewalk. That won't freak you out. Back to the, what happens when they get together, Robin? <laughs> They go back to the recharge station. They are running a trial on this in the Atlanta suburb, Peachtree Corners. But the big idea here is, first of all, you don't have all those armies of people out in the middle of the night trying to get in the right spot. I've seen them. But also people in suburbs. Because if you are in a suburb, it's really hard to get it back. How do you make these useful in the suburbs? No, no, no. No. It just keeps getting worse. I told you, scooters are the measles of public transportation. And there was more this week. Turns out scooters aren't so climate-friendly after all. There's an MIT tech review story that I must tell you about. They looked at the full lifetime emissions of scooters, and they called into question the assumption around micromobility being ecological. One of the scooter companies, Bird, says that its dockless scooters can allow customers to, quote, cruise past traffic and cut back on CO2 emissions one rider at a time. The other scooter company, Lime, says the vehicles, quote, reduce dependence on personal automobiles for short distance transportation and leave future generations with a cleaner, healthier planet. But the fact that these battery powered scooters don't just kick out pollution from a tailpipe doesn't mean they're emissions free or eco friendly, as some have assumed. Turns out the actual climate impact of the vehicles depends heavily on how they're made, what they're replacing, and how long they last. So researchers at North Carolina State University 
one of my new favorite schools, decided to conduct a life cycle assessment. And they tallied up all the emissions from making, shipping, charging, collecting, and disposing of scooters after one of them noticed that a Lime receipt stated, your ride was carbon-free. Well, turns out they're not carbon-free. The study concluded that dockless scooters generally produce more greenhouse gas emissions per passenger mile than a standard diesel bus with high ridership, an electric moped, an electric bicycle, a bicycle, and of course, a walk. I knew it. I knew it. I knew this was true. So no surprise. Walking is still going to be your greenest bet for getting around. But now we can finally poke a hole in the argument that scooters are good for the environment. Scooters suck. That's the hashtag. Many of you have been very passionate about it and continue to share on social media, so keep it up. The situation in America with scooters is not a joke. And even more so, neither is everything else happening in America. The state of our great American experiment is rough right now. It's no laughing matter and no reason to smile. But our guest this week, she is. Our guest this week is Samantha B. Some people call me the Space Cowboy. Sam B. grew up in Toronto, Canada, one of my favorite cities in the world, and the city I think is actually more like New York than anywhere else. But Sam grew up in a household that was politically and culturally pretty aware. She went to McGill University, studied humanities, and later went to the University of Ottawa. She signed up for a theater class thinking it would be easy. Well, that class led Sam to find her love of performing and her passion for comedy, and her life's calling. A calling she'll tell you much more about, and she'll tell you why she wants to do it until she can't do it anymore. She worked as a waitress and toured with a production of Sailor Moon, where she met her talented husband, Jason Jones, who would later join her on The Daily Show. In July of 2003, Samantha B. became a correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and everything would change. For her for The Daily Show, and for American satire, comedy, and politics. Sam would be the only woman on a powerhouse cast for five years. A cast that included Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, Rob Riggle, Rob Corddry, John Oliver, Steve Carell, Louis Black, Larry Wilmore, Ed Helms, John Hodgman, and Michael Che for a hot minute, Asif Manvi, Hassan Minaj, Mo Rocca, and more. Samantha B was a pillar of what would be one of the most important shows with one of the most successful casts, I think, in the history of television. The Daily Show with Jon Stewart moved issues and culture. It opened a generation to politics and held countless politicians accountable. And through all of it, Samantha B was there, a constant, brave, and hilarious leader. And after 12 years in The Daily Show, Sam left to launch her own groundbreaking satirical news show on TBS, Full Frontal with Samantha B. It debuted in February of 2016. And with Full Frontal's launch, Sam became the first woman to host a late-night satire show. She also implemented a hiring process that would give her show a more diverse staff than was typical for a late-night comedy show. She's also the executive producer of the TBS comedy series The Detour, which she created with her husband, Jason Jones. She was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine. In April 2017, Full Frontal with Samantha B hosted the Not the White House Correspondence Dinner, which aired on TBS the same evening. All the while, 
Sam's always squared the circle from TV into real impact. In 2017, her Nasty Woman Shirt campaign raised over $1 million for Planned Parenthood. Full Frontal's earned an outstanding writing Emmy for It's Not the White House Correspondents' Dinner, seven additional Emmy nominations, a Television Critics Association Award for Outstanding Achievement in News and Information, two additional Television Critic Award nominations, a WGA nomination, two PGA nominations, four DGA nominations, and the show has a 100% Rotten Tomato score. Full Frontal with Samantha Bee has led the cultural conversation since it started in 2016. It takes down the news and it makes news. Sam shines a spotlight on stories in the Beltway and beyond, from sexual harassment to the media to global warming to child marriage in the U.S. They've also gone around the world to cover international stories with segments in Jordan, Russia, Scotland, Mexico, Iraq, and Djibouti, which she'll tell you more about. Sam's taken on the rich, the powerful, the crooked, and the wrong. She's been a voice for the voiceless and a true patriot. And in 2014, she became naturalized as an American citizen. Sam said that her comedic influences include Steve Martin, Dave Letterman, Mary Tyler Moore, Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett, Betty White, and Joan Rivers. She's a bit of all of them. But her legacy is now cemented beside them. And it's continuing to grow by the year. Sam B is a leader. She's a force. She's also a role model and another helper. We all need a good laugh right now. And maybe even more so, some wisdom and perspective. In this episode, I've got it for you. Along with the four eyes. It's a pun of integrity. It's a comedy central level roast of information. It's a sitcom of impact and a masterful stand-up set of inspiration. Carol Burnett once said, comedy is tragedy plus time. We're having our tragedy, and we're getting our time, and Sam's producing some very important comedy. We all need to laugh, but also to remember just how important it is to laugh. And even more so, we need to remember the fact that nothing in politics may be more important in comedy or more powerful People keep talking about me, baby. welcome to angry americans episode 28 say i'm doing you wrong well don't you worry don't worry no don't worry mama because i'm right here at home this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I am absolutely elated and ecstatic to have the great and powerful Sam B. joining us today. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. It's so warranted. Oh my God. And I will 
reap more praise on you later, but I always no. want our guests to be iconic, important, inspiring Americans. Oh. And I think you check all those boxes. That is lovely of you. And thank you for providing this incredibly cozy chair that's enveloping me in a big... It's a weird chair, right? It's very huggy. It's, it, it is. It's actually made from, um, from the fabric of a car. It's leather car fabric. Oh, no wonder I feel so comfortable in yeah. it. It's kind of spacey. So if you're listening, we're inside... Mm-hmm the simulator room at the classic car club, which kind of has a Disney ride of the future feel to it. It has a lot of potential. It has a lot of potential for a lot of fun for a lot of people in my family. Anytime. And it's also soundproof. Mm-hmm. And um, given the Rudy butt dial story that I have not fully shared with you, but I shared with our audience <laughs> oh last week God. and given maybe both of our pretty wow. ferocious critiques of the president. Wow. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> it's okay if they're it's okay if they're listening so uh i always ask the guests yep. that join us uh what they would like to drink mm-hmm. and and your choice was a coke i love a regular coke i love it in a glass bottle but i also love a fountain coke so i'm not you know i love them they have they each bring different qualities and you have both you brought your I, own i brought glass my bottle. own because i was at the dmv all day and then I really needed a Coke just to even be a human being. And then you provided me with this lovely fountain Coke and also a water and a half-eaten apple. That's mine. I brought that too. And I encourage you to eat the apple throughout the interview. <laughs> you. You're a very, very busy person. So I you may. need to make sure you, you, are, you are sustained. And you just sustain myself. But I have to ask you. So okay. the show is called Angry Americans. Yes. There are a lot of issues that have Americans angry, ranging from you know our president's press conference a couple of hours ago to our failed mm-hmm. infrastructure and, but we've never gotten to the yeah. DMV and you just came from the DMV I so did. Sam B on the DMV I just you know I mean I did definitely think that I was going to miss this recording like I was torn at the end because I was like I've been here for 4 hours I could be here for four more hours. I think I have to bail on this, but then I'm going to have to come back. I don't think the DMV would be bad if everybody had the same information at the same time. That's the only thing that I seek. I actually don't mind waiting. I understand. Like I can queue with the best of them. I bring a book. I've got it. I brought snacks. and that. But then you get to the person and they... We, they rejected all of my, for, they just rejected all of my ID. Like everything was, I had like banana clips on things. Like everything was perfect and pristine and ready to go. Totally rejected my ID. They were like, you have to talk to a supervisor. I had to go back. So that was at the three and a half hour mark. Wow. Mm-hmm. Are you still making the Canadian to American transition? Is no, that no, part no. of the challenge here? No, that is made. Okay. That has been made. There really was no evident challenge. And I had like, eight pieces of ID. I mean, I just could not have had more ID. And so then they put me in another line to talk to a supervisor and I talked to them and I was like, all right. So then I was sitting on the floor. I ate my lunch on the floor. There's no seats because there's like 800 people there. I talked to the supervisor who was like, oh, all of this is fine. So then he put me back in the line to go talk to another person. And he was like, I don't know about this ID. I'm like, no, it's fine. I just talked to Roger, please. <laughs> like it really, I just want everybody to understand. That so how long were you there total? So four and a half hours. And there is, there is a, like some kind of high speed DMV in New York that I've been to that actually functions amazingly well. It what? feels like the Jetsons version it. of the DMV. And I, I went there once. I think it's just for like renewals or something basic. It's kind of right. like 
one medical where you can go for like just a flu shot, but not for well, we surgery. All have to do, we have to get real IDs now so yeah. to, try, to take flights. So the whole system is getting, it's going to be, a, there's a big imbalance in the force for the next year. It's going to be a process. Anyway, it's fine. And I'm going to get a real ID. So I really have nothing to complain about. But in the moment I was like, what do I do? do when everyone around me is in the exact same everybody's so upset what is it like to be sam b at the dmv and then just <laughs> the sound of that like that's just a great hip-hop song for someone to write but sam b at the dmv it's, it's not like anything like can you just sit there and you know get yes. your renewal or do people of come course. up to you and want to talk about the show and nobody talk about... wants to talk to me at really? the, everybody's at the having a dmv experience they're all just pissed Everyone's you're all pissed. just we, you say in the military yeah. we all bond in the suck i would be so you were all bonding i'm telling together. you i would be so shocked if there was a single human being at the DMV who identified me as a person from television. Like I would be shocked. Everybody is like head down, get to work. No one's looking around. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So did you think at any point like a Giuliani or Trump henchman might come out and pull you aside and try uh, to send you to Guantanamo for your criticism? Well, definitely. I'm intrigued by operation second look. Do you know about no. Operation Second Look? Please tell me more. Well, um, they're doing, it's called Operation Second Look. It has another name also that's a more complex name. But basically they're going back into nat the files of naturalized citizens looking for small clerical errors or reasons to denaturalize citizens. And I am one of those people, so I'm definitely going to be deported. <laughs> yeah. Could, mm. could being a cast uh -huh. member of The Daily Show be an automatic disqualifier? It feels like it could. It'll be up there in some <laughs> stockade with John Oliver. And I, totally. Rob Riggle and who yeah. knows who else. Else? Yeah, yeah. It didn't fill my heart with gladness when I read it today while I was at the DMV. That's scary shit. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Just because so much of what we talk about is news and current events and activism. Yes. Um, what has it been like for you, Sam? Because I, mm -hmm. I, I did Colbert's show in 2006, like a month after he started the show. Right. And it was, I think, the Tuesday after he did the White House Correspondence Dinner, my oh book came my out. Oh, my God. Okay. And I met him in the back, and he gave me the briefing about, hey, you know, I'm going to be a fake conservative, and I'm nice now, and I'm going to come on and be an asshole. And sure. I knew the shtick already. Yeah. But I asked him about the Correspondence Dinner, and I saw the look on his face. Uh-huh. And I could tell that, you know, it was a level of threat. You know, right. that he probably had never experienced in his life before right, as, right, right. as a satirist, as a comedian, as, as a person, right? He was so in the crosshairs and I think mm -hmm. was courageous and brave in taking on Bush at the time, maybe more effectively than anyone else had ever done to it his face. It was incredible. I mean, right? that really was an incredible moment. Yes. But it was very, very brave. And I could see the look on his face that was frankly kind of fear. It's like, oh shit, like yeah. this is a whole another level. That would so, shake that would shake a person. Have you had for sure. what what is it like for you to be such an important mm. and I think powerful and and trusted oh. satirist and All even journalist? I think that I want to get into this with you, but there's no you guys are more you and the crew and we mm -hmm. can talk about them however you but sure. but especially you have been so consistent and effective. Um when we when I was working at IABA and we mm -hmm. wanted to move Obama, we could we could go to the Hill. We could write letters. We could sign petitions. Right. When we wanted to move Obama, we talked to The Daily Show. 
Oh my God. And when really? there was one segment on the Daily Show about the VA yes. or about Obama fucking up something with vets, then they responded. Yeah. Nothing got their attention right. like the Daily Show. Nothing gets anyone's attention quite like a television segment about them. It's true. It's true. If you want to move the needle, that's a very effective, it's a very effective tool in your arsenal. I mean, I can tell you about something that we did recently on the show that did move the needle in a really weird way. It was like a, almost like an experiment that we did. And we were like, will this make an impact? Will this have any impact? Will this, if this thing that we do has an impact, does that mean the whole system is bullshit? The answer is yes, mm. <laughs> of course. Mm. Um, I forgot what we were talking or about. Or that you're the future. You know, this the segment. The, the <laughs> or segment. that or that each and every person who has a problem, like at the VA, needs to get a segment on television. That's what I used to tell vets. Yeah. I was like, yo, your claim is fucked up. I have yeah. only one way that I can be sure it gets fixed. Yeah. If I put your ass on CNN. Yeah. If I put, and it happened time and time again, time I put them again. on TV. 24 yes. hours later, they miraculously get a call. It's the opposite of DMV. You miraculously get a call yeah. and your VA claim gets fixed. But everybody S- couldn't do that. I know. Um, but I know. your segment that you did recently had a, had a really we did unpredictable a segment, impact? It was unpredictable. It was a little experiment that we did. We were wanted to do a piece about the travel ban. And so we went to Djibouti to... There were all of these Yemeni refugees, who obviously families fleeing the war, who would qualify for U.S. citizenship because they had an American role. They had married an American. So there was really no... There would be no holdup in their visa except for the travel ban, which was applied without any like attention to sense. It really, there is no codified kind of version of the travel ban. It's just like an idea that these people from these countries just, it, their process gets fucked up and we can't tell you why. And we can't tell you what's going to lo- grease the wheels. It just like is okay. So don't ask questions. Right. So all of these Yemeni families essentially were separated from their family members and stranded in the country of Djibouti because the only consulate that they could they had to be near the consulate and that consulate had moved to Djibouti. So all of these mothers were separated from their children, like young children, like young children living in Virginia with their moms in Djibouti with no access to any information, just stuck in this kind of morass of paperwork and this waiting game separated for years, some of them. And so we've shone a light on that story and Literally all of the families that we had in our piece got their visas and are now in the States and have been reunited with their families. But we only really talked to four or five families. It's all we could do. Very, we were so excited and thrilled that we could help those individual families. But there are hundreds of families just Mm. like them who are separated from loved ones Mm. with really no sense. They've all met all of the requirements. They've all met all of, they've been, they've passed all the tests. They've got all the check marks. There's no reason to keep them. They have no ties to anything nefarious. They're married to American citizens. Like it's all good. Mm. The process is zilch. It makes no sense. It's not applied with any kind of, it's not applied with any logic. It's another tweeted policy, right? It's, it's tweet. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's, it's garbage. It's a tweet that's not a policy. Like it's a piece the of trash. The ban and a variety yeah. of other things that pop out of his head, right? Yep. But Sam, you guys, you guys and gals, or you were the only gal, I guess, at, at The Daily Show for mm-hmm. a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, when I look across the spectrum now over the last decade, you're <laughs> kind of like a super friends network. 
right? right? Yeah, you, you're, yeah. You've all gone on to do different mm-hmm. things, but there's a through line, mm-hmm. right? You all have a, a social impact. You all have causes and you're all moving the needle. Well, I think we right? try to, whether it's successful or not, who, who really knows? I, I know and it's like, successful. Like as an activist, as someone who is clamoring for that attention and to try to move the needle, to know that you all listen. Like, I think we met the first time um, when you were doing a piece and you yes. came into our headquarters, right? We did, yeah. It was we, about the finding Bin Laden piece. It right? was. It was about. Wasn't it? Was about the waiting list at the VA. It was about the impossible waiting list yes. at the VA. Yes. And we talked to. We talked to. We came to the IAVA and then we talked to a bunch of soldiers who hadn't who could, could not get access to medical care right. they did actually and you drew the parallel like trying to find their documents and records yes. or like trying to find bin laden trying to find bin laden right? that's right and, and you, it was really and funny could, it was probably easier to get answers on bin laden than it was on yeah but what what did you learn from that i mean a lot of what you guys do is expose the 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 ridiculousness of a bureaucracy or how government doesn't work or politics doesn't work mm-hmm. um does it make you um, optimistic or does it make you frustrated? How do you feel about that now? Having done this for a decade and a half or however long you've been doing it? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously it's incredibly frustrating, but like, I mean, the truth is if we couldn't, you know, it's like we're, we, we can only take an issue and put it just like over the top. There's like a lot of people doing the real work to get everything, to be preparing these cases, to be like pushing these issues. Like there's people just spinning their wheels and working relentlessly. So when we, if we can put something on TV and it kind of pushes it over, that's just the kind the tipping point of the work of this entire iceberg of people who've been pushing forward. Um, I think it's frustrating. It's revealing. Certainly you never, I don't think anything is surprising about it. Bureaucracy is ridiculous. The government administrations work at a glacial pace and there often is no logic applied to the system. It just sucks in general to be stuck in it. Um, but then you get to meet excellent people along the way and you get to know who's doing the real work out there. I don't know. It's a it's deeply, it's like, it, it's just a deeply moving, good experience to just get to tell these stories is a, true, is really a, it's a privilege. I don't know. And I, I think it's an act of patriotism. I think that the work that you all have done collectively and individually over the last decade and a half has been, you know, sometimes for people, it, it was, um, you know, a voice of conscience. It was therapy. It was motivation. Um, do you all ever think about having kind of a Voltron moment where you reform together and bring the Super Friends <laughs> Network together. That's a really good an, idea. On an issue. I mean, it would be like you oh know, my the 12 God. candidates on stage last night, but if all of you came together with all of your audiences and focused on the Godzilla that is Trump, right? I'm telling there- you that we, ha- I have not thought of that, but you just told me that I should. And now- I can never unthink that. It's such a good idea. I'm an organizer, so I, I'm looking are. to see when you guys are going to come together. It's and, such a goddamn good idea. Well, after, well, especially, you know, we covered on this show at length the fight for 9-11 first responders sure. and the veterans, veterans, uh, the Victims' Compensation Fund. Yeah. And so many times we were grinding away. We've had Rob Sarah on, who's been a hero. He's in a mm-hmm. wheelchair. He's literally in a wheelchair of a, of a guy. Uh, two guys own the wheelchair before him, and they're both dead. Right. And... It, when John Stewart came in, mm-hmm. right, and with the the broader network that surrounds him, mm-hmm. it was like um, it, it was it was like a, like a laser guided missile. Right. I mean, it blows up the national discussion mm-hmm. in a way that nothing else can. Right. 
I mean, right. I, I don't know if there's anybody who can captivate the media and captivate Capitol Hill and bring that intersection together and really focus it into one thing, which right. is pressure. Right. And and sometimes, most of the time, it's shame. Shame. Right? Shame really is an incredible motivator. Yeah. Unfortunately, you would love to sort of imagine, you kind of like imagine, you can idealize government when you're a kid or you're growing up and you're learning about civics and you're like, people are in it for the right reasons. And a lot of people are. And that definitely, a lot of, so many people in government are trying to do the right thing. Mm. But that can get lost. The ambition to always win can really obfuscate the original goal, I feel. And that is distressing. When you all were on the show together, did you recognize how powerful it was? Like, I think they'll, no. they'll go back and look at it in the same no. way the early days of Saturday Night Live or something. Really, the, the amount of talent that was consolidated in that one cast. And, you know, at the same time, um, crossing into the powerful currents of what was happening in our time politically is in my view is real was really historic i mean it's the legacy and the spirit of mark twain it's like the great power of satire and comedy and truth telling right and that's what was so powerful about it. but when you guys were all together i think we were just all like struggling to be in tv yeah <laughs> no i mean i think we we're all just like i gotta go get my makeup done and i'm going to sioux falls south dakota tomorrow and i you know you're just kind of like in it and i i don't even know that any of us would sit around i don't think that there's a to a person that we would sit back and go we're incredibly powerful thank you so much for finally acknowledge no like no i think we just the one thing that we all did i think and through the and john led us to that place was truly figure out what our point of view is and like how to lean into that and then all of our various projects kind of grew and we so many of us kind of followed that path and deepened our point of view and that's a it's a great it's 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 great i there's not another job in the television industry that i would really want to do once i don't do this anymore i'm going to be like an onion farmer <laughs> it's like all you, or nothing i'm sure you'll be a very talented <laughs> onion farmer um it wasn't new york called the big onion before it was called the big apple was do you know it that? yes well is it, it is more of an onion than an apple yeah yeah. They used to grow onions downtown and it was, Fantastic. uh, it, yeah, there's a great tour company called the big onion tour company. That's if you're listening and you're in, in New world? York or visiting New York, I highly recommend it. My friend was a history PhD and used to be a tour guide there. Oh my anyway, God. Really, you know, tangent, but no, that's but, a good tangent. But when we watched the show, we could feel these moments where you guys would, you know, throw the ball back and forth to each mm -hmm. other. Right. And, and you could see that voice sharpen and grow. Sure. And I think yours especially, you know, grew over time because of your talent and because of the issues and because of, you know, the moments, but I'm I, also I felt like, like old. No, well, I'm not. I don't, <laughs> but like, I got nothing left to lose. We got lose. three presidential candidates that are almost 80. You're not it's old. It's true. But like, you know, there's something to you. I think there's actually something to that idea of like having nothing, not, not nothing left to lose, but like, like I'm turning 50. I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I'm fucking going for it. I don't care. I don't have anything left to prove to anyone. I don't like, it is life changing to kind of come into an age where you're like, I'm going to say what I need to say while I have this platform. I'm going to use it for whatever I'm going to use it for. And when I'm done and someone cancels me or whatever, that's okay too. Like it's just balls to the wall while you can. And then 
you're done. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. There's no other I do, way to see I do. It. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, my time is fleeting and a big part of my transition into the media was recognizing that I had a lot of ammunition left in my heart. Right. And I wanted to spend it, you know, and, and I, I wasn't moving the needle enough, frankly, in the nonprofit space. And, okay. And the, the, the media landscape, taking inspiration from you and so many others, the way you're able to focus that spotlight on an issue and galvanize people and give them hope. You know, and, and remind them what the values are about. So, Sam, where does that where does that come from from for you when you were growing up? Like, what made you give a shit about politics and about the world? Um, that's you know, my mom was actually very political. My mom was quite political, and I do recall being very angry with her actually because there were like foods that we couldn't have. Like, I wanted her to buy grapes for my lunch, and she was like, "We don't have, we don't get grapes because." Migrants are not, you know, because migrant workers are treated poorly and the crops are sprayed with pesticide and it hurts, it harms people and families. So no grapes for you. Here's an apple, like from a local orchard. So like, it was very annoying to me as a child. It's not like I embraced that worldview at all. It was terrible. But it, I think it just was part of how I grew up and my grandmother was quite conservative and so they would fight about politics and my grandmother I mean I grew up in Canada so my grandmother thought Ronald Reagan was incredible and my mom thought he was horrible and so you know as a kid we watched 60 Minutes every week and we watched the Iran Contra hearings and I was just a kid I mean I was really just a kid watching these hearings so I just think it was a part of it was just like kind of a part of who I was I took political science in college and it just grew from there. It was just an interest and a passion. And I never in a in a million years would have thought, this is what I will do for a living or this is the path that I will take. But looking back on it, it it's it's logical that I would one day host a TV show. <laughs> the end. Well, I think America is, is better for it. Uh, Canada is better for it. The world is better for it. But going back in the way, way back machine, Sam, uh, yeah. um, when you were in Canada, if mm-hmm. it was in Canada, uh, Sam B, what was your first car? Oh my God. Okay. Well, my first car, I had a, like, okay. I learned to drive. I learned to drive on a Camaro. In my dad's Camaro, which was like as long, had as long a hood as the Batmobile. I could not see over it, but I loved it so much. I still wish that we had that car. I mean, I, I dream of that car. Camaro. It was incredible. My first car. Do you know what year that Camaro was? Uh, no, I do not. But it was like, you know, the classic like super seventies. Yeah. Brown. Like what color? It was blue. It was actually navy blue, and the inside was brown. You know, of yeah. course. Yeah, of course. As you as one does. Of course. <laughs> My first car that I bought. I paid $800 for it was a tan cutlass Supreme with a brown fabric interior, like brown velour interior that was incredible. It was such a good car and it just was like the best beater, but sort of unreliable. I'll be honest with you. I love a car with a gigantic engine. That's yes. clear. <laughs> my first car was, I've never, I don't think I've talked about it. My first car was a Cutlass Supreme. <gasps> what? It was, it was an 82 Cutlass. Oh my and God. And it was uh, tan. 
with the brome package interior, which was like a navy blue, but kind of like a wow. couch. That's yeah, it was and like I, a sofa, like a yeah. like a tufted sofa. And I bought it from my mother's friend Shelley's father, Irving. Great. Okay? And he and they had cats. Okay. And so Irving was like in his 80s and couldn't drive anymore. Sure. And he had been a, a competitive diver in his day when he was younger. Oh my God. But uh, when I got the car, I got it for like, I don't know, a couple hundred, maybe 800 bucks, less than a thousand bucks. Sure. But the deal was that it was covered in cat hair. Okay. It was a brome velvet. The roof was velvet, but oh. it was cat hair. Oh my God. So my first job, like getting this car on the road was getting uh-huh. a super vacuum and, and almost pulling it out by hair. I bet. By, by hand. Yeah. But the hair just kind of caked the entire inside of the car. Of course. But it also, the only thing bigger than the engine was the trunk. Huge. And we used to play a game, how many people could you fit in the trunk? How many people could you fit in the trunk? It depends on the size of the people. I never but. put any people in my trunk <laughs> of my brown car. Living people. I should, <laughs> I should write living people. All right. right? All right. Yes. Um, yes. My car, my Cutlass Supreme, had a lot of cigarette burns in it. Yes. Because you would smoke in your velour car. Yes. And butt the cigarette in your, in your upholstery. Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. And I, the old cigarette lighter. Which yep. now is almost unimaginable, where you unimaginable. push the thing in and get this hot, gigantic piece of hot, oh, hot like piece a of burning metal. ember, yeah. like yeah. a red burning piece yeah. of fire. Yeah, in your hand in a car that while you're driving. That your kids could, and then you know, it was, your children would just like roll around in the back seat or the front seat yes. across the bench. Yes, my dad had a brown duster, and I would just slide like we would go on family vacations, and I would just slide across the Naga Hide and back, like all the way to Florida, just sliding across the Naga Hide. I guess when it got hot, you would stick to the Naga hide, and that was like a seatbelt. <laughs> Naga hide is a great word to say. Mm-hmm. Between Djibouti and Naga hide, I feel like those are I'm kind bringing, of comedic gold. I'm bringing some incredible words you are. today. <laughs> you are. But you, so I want to, I want to, I want to take a step back, sure. thinking about this powerful role that you play, whether you admit it or not. Um, the candidates kind of come to you. Right, and I don't know if they're coming to you now. They don't come to your, me anymore. No, they but don't, I think they if they haven't, they will. Anymore. They will. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and and last night mm-hmm. was the latest Democratic debate. So mm-hmm. I'm dying to get your thoughts. What did you think of the debate last night? I we you know we like live tweeted it. So we all. I don't think there was a person. To be perfectly honest, I don't think there any of us wanted to watch it. I think there's like eight more, and it definitely felt like there were still too many people on that stage mm-hmm. at this point in the game Mm -hmm. uh i thought that there were you know they didn't really talk about hong kong there were lots of things they didn't really talk about i didn't know i didn't see anyone raise that that's a really good point that they didn't bring up hong kong especially after lebron made controversial statements within the last 48 hours came up very it was like very brief it was like 10 seconds of of hong kong they didn't really talk about the about climate change they didn't really talk about the environment at all Um, they finally talked about women's reproductive justice. Like that was many debates in, they really hadn't talked about it until mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, still back on the healthcare tip. There's we're talking a lot about healthcare. I was appreciative that they spoke about the Kurds. I was appreciative that they spoke about that situation because they went pretty far into the debate. I was like, is this whole First of all, I thought it was going to be two hours, and then it was three. Yeah, that third that hour was tough, right? That was, that was a like, moment. Is there a baseball game on? What am I missing? <laughs> I know. Third hour gets tough. These things are good to watch. It's good. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I is don't there know what a candidate or candidates that are jumping out? And and I think you've been a very effective and powerful voice for women in this moment in time. Thank you. It's nice and, to see them up there killing yeah. the game. But thoughts on 
the candidates broadly? I mean, is is there someone that spoke to you or that like if you and and if you had to put your money on somebody, like who are you betting on? I, that I don't, you know, I just don't have a bet on anyone. Like I, I don't know, I don't know who's going to take it. I really don't. It's it's pretty. It's interesting. I can't say. I mean, I like a lot of them. I like I like Elizabeth Warren. I like Kamala Harris a great deal. I like Mayor Pete. I like. I like a whole bunch of them and have for you different interviewed reasons. Most of them? No, I really any haven't. Of, any of them? I've interviewed Elizabeth Warren. She came on the show ages ago, really, and I was supposed to do it again. But now that she's like, she's harder to get. You know, she's hard to get now mm-hmm. that she's kind of like front runner style. So I don't really expect a lot of them to come and talk to me. I don't think it does them a ton of favors to be seen on my show because my show has such a an entrenched point of view. I think they like to play it safer Mm. game which I do understand Mm. and actually if I'm really being philosophical about it it's better for me not to oh Kamala was on the she was great too she talked about her education plan but like at this point it's actually kind of better for me to have a bird's eye view of it I prefer that generally Mm -hmm. than having to be close to someone who I I I, I don't know. No, it's, I understand it's what you mean. Not, I think it's better to kind of be in it, but not of it. I prefer that generally. Like, I prefer that my relationship with Hollywood is like that. Like, I really don't have those. I don't have deep connections to people in the entertainment industry, particularly or anything like that. I think it's kind of better to orbit a little bit and kind of be yeah share a little bit of oxygen but not a lot rachel maddow has always made the same argument to me it's why she she has in the past given me her ticket to the white house correspondence dinner because mm-hmm. she does not want to go and you it's know really and, icky. And pal up with people yeah. that she has to cover and she argues that more yeah. journalists should do that but it also takes me to your real i think one of the capstone things you've done was a counter programming to the white house correspondence yes dinner. Yeah, and uh, is that going to be an annual event going no. forward? Because I've been to the real course. Well, yours is probably much more real, but I've been to the other White House oh, Correspondence Center a couple you should times. Should have come to ours. It's so I much w- more would fun. so much rather come to yours, especially <laughs> this one. This year sucked. It was oh, just like yeah. so Ooh. lame. Wait, how it many really have you was. gone to? Which ones have you gone? I think to? I've gone to three. I was at the one when they got Bin Laden. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then I was at the one this time, and then. Um, I think I've been to one other one. So you went to the Ron Chernow one and you were at the Bin Laden one. Yeah. I the was Bin Laden at- one where I think where, where, where actually Obama was the star. Like yes. his, his stuff was so good. And I've known uh, Kevin Blyer and other mm-hmm. people who, I don't know if it's official or not, have written stuff for the White House in the right. past, right? So he had some great writers yes. and he had great comedic timing. And yeah. I really feel like Obama was like the star of those. Sure those events he did a great yeah he could he could deliver a joke like yeah. he could he could really deliver a joke the only one i ever went to i only went one time i was so pregnant with my kid with my son and i went to one that was a george w bush one and who's the scottish oh my god i'm so terrible with names the scottish comedian i know who you he mean. had a show for like 100 yeah, years yeah, he's very very mean. funny the guy was on cbs right yeah he was yeah. he's great he he did the it was fine yeah but he was the guy before they got like James Corden and they picked yes. another guy with an accent to take the late night spot right, on CBS, correct, right? Correct. Yeah. But it was so it was so 
awkward because all of the people who were getting, because they have that whole section where they give everybody the awards for the incredible journalism that they did all year. And literally all of the winning stories that year were like, George W. Bush is a war criminal. (laughs) And they would win. So they were like, come on up and receive your plaque. And then they would go up and they'd be like, thank you for writing the article. George W. Bush is a war criminal. And then you had to stand there and take a picture with George W. Bush with a little framed thing that was like, you're a murderer click so it is a very it's a kind of a nonsense event what what do you think now (laughs) sam when you think back to bush compared to trump now listen george i am not a fan of george w bush's i'm no fan of george w bush like he's i so they're they're difficult it's difficult to compare anyone to donald trump truly he is blazing a trail I can't say that I would want to go back to the Bush years. That's just not the case. He obviously (laughs) made some grave mistakes that have resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. So I'm not going to sanction that. But uh, it super seems like we're going down that path again. And as my feelings toward our current administration are, are pretty clear. They, but they he are. Is. But what are they? What are they he in the last a, in the last twenty four hours? Right? Because oh they keep spiraling. Before we came in here, he did a press oh conference God. where he he said the PKK is oh worse than God. ISIS, and I then can't. he shit on the Kurds some more. And he said American troops had no ammunition when he got elected. I mean, it's just he said that again today. He did. Yeah, he says what? it every day now. He says that, that when he came in, troops had no ammunition, and that a general told him that they needed ammunition. And of course, every story ends with somehow him riding in to save the day. Of course. Right. But, um, but, I don't but even, where, the last 24, 40, I mean, it, how do you write this stuff, Sam? Right. Like when I go to write this show, it's hard because it keeps spiraling while you're writing. You must but, be so angry, right? You must be so fucking angry right now. Right. I have a show called angry Americans, but I think, but I think we all should be angry. We right? should all be angry. This is insanity. This is just not, this is, I am actually so grateful that we don't have a show this week because I don't know how you take this information and this absolute like tragedy and calamity and try to make a comedy show. Like we had a vacation week last week, actually we had, a, and it felt like a calamity the entire week. You're just, we did a piece on the Kurds. We went to, we went to Iraq. We shot with people. We met people. These people are our allies. They're getting shot in the streets. And it's our fault. I can't, I'm sorry. I can't handle it. No, I I appreciate your candor. I think you often speak for a lot of people from their heart. And that's what I want to do in this show and what I think people need right now. And it's why they need your work so badly. Like they sometimes, you know, whether it's your work and I've said this to Rachel and others, you know, it seems like it's spinning out of control. And oftentimes people look up and say, Holy shit, just help me understand what the fuck is happening. How do we make sense of this? Like this tornado. Because part of your job and now my job is to try to look at it and prioritize it and help people understand what is important. Maybe something you missed, maybe a new angle on it. But but your sword is so powerful in the way that you you break it down. But when you look at the whole spectrum, yes, right? Sam B, what makes you angry? Well, that makes me angry. I actually, I just feel like, you know, uh, well, I mean, where do you even begin? I just think, well, obviously, the the almost nearly the entirety of the administration makes me angry right now, particularly 
I mean, I'm not even going to say particularly today, but this is, I mean, even asking this question in the, with this as the backdrop feels insane, but they consistently make me angry. Like I can't, sometimes we just have trouble at our job, like even processing how angry we feel. But what, what, what is the most appalling thing to me is I feel like putting him aside, putting him and his weird family, his terrible family aside, just for a moment, there are people, there must be people in his midst in his midst, in the administration, who like just haven't drawn a line in the sand for themselves, or they're just crossing and zigzagging back and forth across it perpetually. Like, how can you be in a room with someone who suggests that we should shoot people in the legs at the border wall to disable them so they can't get over the wall? How can you honestly be in a room with a person who's suggesting that and not fucking stand up, quit your job, walk the fuck out the door and tell everybody what you just heard. Are you kidding me? What job is worth it? What job in our government is worth it to cross back and forth over these like abominable Moral and ethical lines. Who the fuck are these people? Who the fuck is Lindsey Graham? Are you kidding me? You don't have a moral compass at all. You just wiggle waggle all over the place. Get the fuck out of this government. I'm sorry. I'm getting so angry right now. No. But like. It's justified. That's why we did this show. Because I think part of Sam, what we wanted to do was was tell people it's okay to be angry. Because it's a very real emotion. And the, you know, I've made the argument that the kind of people who are who are there and who are okay with this are, are one of two types: either either they're ignorant, and there are some people out there in America that are ignorant, sure. or you have something to gain personally. And that's how fascism works, right? Like you oh, say, boy. okay, I'll shoot him in the legs, and I'll be okay with that because my political career or my personal wealth or my whatever. What will, makes will it benefit. worth it? I it's, don't think it's worth it. Like it's that, really, that's, a, that's a, a calculation that some will make, right? Sure. You Whether go, it's okay. Lindsey Graham or. My goal is whoever. to remake the judiciary. Right. Okay. And that's like the ultimate goal. So right. I'll accept any of these consequences on the path to that. Like that's it. That's your line. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I actually, when. Early on in the show, I talked to this woman who I admire so greatly. She's a brilliant writer, Masha Gessen. She's amazing. She's had experience with people like this. Um, and she said something so that has stayed with me. I have not wavered for it, from it for one second. She was like, when... Basically, when a strongman type enters office, when something like this happens... You draw a line for yourself and then you just, the only way to keep your head up and your eyes clear is you draw a line from yourself and you never, ever cross that line. You can come up, you just never cross it. And I did. I drew it for myself and I know exactly what it is. And I will never cross it. I will never cross it. I just can't believe that people don't approach their life's work that way. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh my God, what? is worth it. I can't answer that question for other people. I know what's not worth it for me. Mm. 
Would you would you ever run for office, Sam? Never. Not in one million years. I don't want to. I don't think that's my str- I don't think that plays to my strength. I don't think that it would be comfortable for me. I don't that's just not how it's not how I see myself. Like ultimately we're talking about all this like stuff that makes me angry and I'm getting all flushed talking about it, but I don't I don't think I'm well equipped for that. I don't think I'm built for it. Mm. I think I'm built basically to make jokes and feel passionately about issues and do what I can in this moment to do the things that I think are important. And then ultimately it will be my job to step aside and support others who mm. For them, that's their life's work. I, I say it because you have the ability and the expertise and the qualifications and the passion. And I and I I, I challenge you with that question and some of my guests with that question because mm-hmm. I think part of this is not to, to criticize you in any way, but too mm-hmm. many people are on the sidelines, right? Right. And too many people said, you know what, I'm not going to run. And then Lindsey Graham runs again, right? Right. But if you know, we could pick if if John Stewart ran against Lindsey Graham. Right. He'd probably win. Like, or, you know, we could pick different examples in in a time when the intersection of entertainment and politics is maybe at the highest point we've ever seen, where we have literally a reality show television president. I think there's a distinct power in, in your ability to communicate, your ability to understand issues and your ability to motivate people. Like anyone who just heard you in that couple of minutes is going to be inspired and you're speaking to them in a very, very deep way. Have you ever met Amy McGrath? Uh, yes, we interviewed her about two months ago. She was oh, our she guest was here great. about two months ago. Yes. She's great. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. She's got and, and she is trying her hardest to fix Kentucky's fucked up reputation right she now is. after not just uh, Mitch McConnell, but Rand Paul, too, who is the only guy who blocked the 9-11 first responders bill yes. and the only guy really who's defending Trump on this Curtis, on this Curtis shit right yeah. now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think Amy McGrath is is one to watch. I hope mm-hmm. she can get the traction. I hope so too. Um, have you have you in, can you talk about the app? So you you actually are oh, involved yeah. in politics in a lot of other ways, sure. right? And the new app is another okay. way to get at. I think it's really cool. So we're releasing, we're doing an app. It'll be released I think it's going to be end of October, beginning of November. Just kind of have to watch for it a little bit. I think it's really interesting. It's actually really it's really funny. We did a game last year around this time called This Is Not a Game, The Game. And it was super fun. It was like a, it was like HQ basically, but political and, and funnier. It was and better. It was very fun. It was, it was a very funny great, game. The, the yeah. Comedy kind of sucks. But we, <laughs> it does. ours is really funny. Yeah. Ours are really, really funny. Yeah. So we like the kind of the goal of that game. I, I got interested in the idea of gamification because I had done a piece about it. And I was like, this is a cool concept that I can't believe in all these years I've never heard of before. So we wanted to apply those principles of gamification to the election and see if a game that was informative but funny and kind of like gave you information in a way that was like really super palatable could drive any kind of voter engagement or voter turnout or like voter activity. We are now sifting through the data from that game and it's a very interesting and cool. And actually it did have a surprising impact um anyway i can't really get into it because i don't have the data in front of me but it was very very interesting so i was like okay let's take what we that learned sounds kind of facebook scary no yeah <laughs> right? it's like the opposite of facebook we scary the data. because we can't tell you what it says, can't tell you what it says but, it, but we know it's like all about kind of it's all about making people 
keep their promise to vote. Mm. It really was all about like reminding people enough to remain engaged and kind of capture their attention for long enough to actually like drive them to the polls. Mm. So yeah. Anyway, I'm very careful with data. Mm. (laughs) Everybody, I have tremendous respect for people's data and their I, privacy. I know that you do. It I know. That's why I gave locked. you an opportunity to clarify. Locked down. Yes. yes. But in the app, they can also, people can shift their alliances from different okay. candidates. So and- this app, we are doing our own primary. So we are taking all of the candidates, basically. We're taking all of the Democratic candidates and we're going to have our own, it's going to be like fantasy football meets HQ. So same funny same it's actually it's like a hilarious game but you're going to play for the candidate of your choice so if you're a bernie if you're a bernie person you're going to play for bernie and you answer our trivia questions and you get answers correctly and points go into like bernie sanders and so we'll have a leaderboard and the candidates will be in this like kind of fantasy football style race to the top at the end of the game the the candidate who wins is going to get a huge pile of money for their political campaign like we know that people need like a billion dollars to wage a proper campaign. So the candidate who wins our game could get like a check for $250,000. It's like real money for their real money for their real campaign. And I think what's really super brilliant about this app is that you don't even have to like me to play the game. Like you don't have to like agree with my point of view, but if you love Andrew Yang and you're part of the Yang gang and you hate me, you still play for Andrew Yang enjoy the game, but you're really playing for Andrew fucking Yang, like actual Andrew Yang. Is there any way that Andrew Yang doesn't win this? I mean, like the Yang gang is full of math nerds who Mm. want to, who know about gamification Uh and who understand technology. Like if there's an, if there's a, if there's a Vegas betting pool on your app, I'm putting my money on Andrew Yang. I think Andrew Yang is going to crush everyone. (laughs) Allow me to introduce you to the Marianne Williamson orb people. Oh, (laughs) who are a powerful and gigantic And can Tom Steyer spend enough money to overwhelm the gang, the the game? Can Can he he like hire bots? Take his money and do something else with it. I don't know. He's just kind of content. I was so pissed to see him on the stage because I felt he just bought his way up there but i can't let you get off marion williamson like okay sam b marion williamson yeah go. she <laughs> her she has legions of fans and so i encourage them to play our game <laughs> but she could take it and you know like it would be kind of hilarious for our game if we ended up truly begrudgingly giving marianne williamson two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a presidential be such campaign. good television though it would it would hurt my heart Greatly. I really would want it to go to the person who I think, but it is going to go to the candidate with the most engaged fans, actually. I can't wait to see how this goes. I know. This is so much fun. The more the merrier. It's so, could get so crazy. And actually, in this case, I super welcome it because I feel like... We do these projects because they're we're curious about Mm -hmm. them. And we're like, all right, let's do an experiment. It's Mm -hmm. not like... Let's just see how this turns out. But you, I don't but know. you make politics fun and you make it accessible and you get people involved. And I think that's another through line of the work that you've done is that you really, you know, for, for some folks, you're their newspaper, you're their politics. And you, you know, you're going to be an on-ramp into people 
running for Congress and starting organizations and and being involved in the process in a way that's really, really important. I mean, I that, that's why I look at you almost like a candidate, right? Like you, mm. you have a ground game. You have really dedicated folks that would follow you anywhere. I appreciate and, that you say on-ramp because that makes a lot of sense to me. I've never heard it described that way, but like on-ramping people to care about issues and to kind of like leave the show, like you yeah, have fun yeah. to watch the show. It's fun. It's cool, whatever. But if it leads you down a path where you're inter- become interested in subject matter or you like it kind of elucidates something for you in a different way, that's really, that's the mm. sweet spot. And I appreciate that you, you don't just talk shit and you don't just make jokes. Like you actually deliver impact. And did, how much did you raise for Planned Parenthood in the effort that you I like did? a million dollars. Yeah, that's, that's a that lot was great. of money. That was really, really and great. that's very, very helpful to Planned Parenthood. Like this $250,000 will be significant to a campaign. I mean, this is actually moving the needle. It's not just talking. It's giving people well, an on-ramp, but an impact as well. And a magnified impact because they're in it together. That's the hope. We're always looking for ways that we can be active and kind of, you know, we all I guess we generally all feel like, well, if you have this TV show, you might as well do something good with it, like, while you can. So it's not just a mm. thing that existed and then stops existing. You're you're also a parent, and you're making sense of this yes. for America, but uh-huh. um, how do you make sense of this for children? And maybe for new parents, you know, like my kids are younger than yours, mm-hmm. but... Um, any advice? Because um, you are experienced, as you've said, but in in how to to make sense of times like this as a parent? Because you, um, you talked about your mom doing that for you in such a way that shaped your entire trajectory, right? So, well, I definitely I don't sh- I don't I don't actually I think it would surprise people to know that I don't super indoctrinate my children. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like they're just through osmosis receive a lot of because I'm constantly it's the bane of their existence, but like I wake up in the morning and I'm listening to NPR and then I switch over to the daily and then I go over to Trump Inc. And I'm like always listening to something newsworthy in the morning. It's just kind of my routine. I find it really relaxing and healthy and they truly hate it. But I think they're receiving the information just because they're present, Mm -hmm. which I think is all I really need to do. And if they have questions, we talk about their questions. Like we, I try to take the time that I spend walking them to school because we have like a mile and a half walk to their school in the morning that we like to do every day. And I really, I really treasure and love it. So that's a time when mostly they don't want to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. They're like, please get away from us. But I force myself on them. And that's actually like, they're kind of open to, they're more open to receiving information then. So like we talked about, well, when, Jamal Khashoggi was murdered. They heard about it on the news and they were confused by it. They didn't really understand what had happened. They kept hearing like fragments of the story. And so we would talk about that on the way to school. And it really, I just spoke frankly about it. They're not babies. You know what I mean? I don't, I try not to sugarcoat it. They don't watch, it's not like they watch my show. They couldn't care less what I do for (laughs) a living. They are not interested in the least um, but I love talking about news stories and kind of breaking them down for them. And I love that their little, their engagements are so interesting. They're so worried. They're worried about the climate. Like I love watching these mini activists growing inside my home, my lair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, that's, that's really, 
powerful because <laughs> you're just you're you're leading by example and and they're <laughs> seeing how to be activists and i think you know I, I think you will find over time sam if you don't know it now that there are, are probably millions of especially young americans who have been similarly inspired by your leadership well it's like learn about what the world around you like go see the world around you like yeah. actually talk to people yeah. like there's Before it a creeps whole... in and blows up your world totally like my, the... my colleague used to say you know if you're not into politics politics is into you oh totally and politics is into all of us now more yeah. than ever like but... it's important to see yourself i feel like for kids it's important for them to see themselves in in context mm-hmm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah, I think that's right. So, Sam, I want to ask you the last question. That's a pillar question I ask of every guest. Okay. And you've been so candid on the anger and God, I'm so sorry. I think no. I like erupted. No, it's a really bad news. Can, can I? Can I? I want you. Maybe I want. I want to stand there for a second if I can. Uh huh. So a lot of folks were uncomfortable with the the title of this show. Of uh, the title of your show? Because, yeah, because I called it Angry Americans, and, oh. and some folks, the only folks that I've found who say, you know, I'm not angry or I'm uncomfortable with it, are liberal men. Mostly liberal white men. Okay? Really? Yeah. Everybody else is angry. Everybody sure. else is pissed off. Right? Like, what do you get young, to be angry young about? People, people of color. <laughs> right. But 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 um but I've also seen we didn't know what the gender breakdown of this audience was gonna be like. Okay. And it's been almost fifty fifty. And and I, I, I wonder if you have thoughts on mm-hmm. um I don't want to ask you to be the ambassador for all women everywhere. I've been asked to be the ambassador for all vets everywhere so many times. Right. But 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 what are your thoughts on whether or not women in particular have a uh more more right to be angry, but also maybe um are are now getting into a point where where they can talk about it more aggressively, right? Well, like there's a time right now where I think everybody should be angry. But sure. I think women and I'm not a woman, but I think women especially should be angry right now. But 20 years ago, it wasn't cool to be angry. It wasn't, you don't talk about anger in the same way you don't, don't talk really about talk pain. About you don't anymore. talk about loss. Don't talk right? about loss. Don't talk. Yeah. And, and everything's like conversation about civility and like, let's like make yeah. sure we're all like, let's make it even keeled and let's make sure we're all being nice to each other. And I'm kind of like, I'm over that. I feel like it's healthy to talk about. It's healthy to talk about your body and it's healthy to talk about your experience. And like people have hidden in their, in the shadows and in abusive situations and in the the wrong sexual identity for like hundreds of, as long as people have existed, people have held on to these like life changing gut busting secrets. And I am not a fan of that. Mm. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right. I think we have to talk. We're not like, it's just not, we don't live in the Victorian era. We can talk to each other. It's, it helps. Like when the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were happening, I can't tell you how many people reached out to me. And, and for some people and people I have known all my life for the, it was the first time they ever talked about the time they were sexually assaulted in high school. And I was like, what is happening? Like just the lid, if the lid off the Tupperware comes off, it's good. Put mm-hmm. light and air on these societal ills. It is the time to do it. There has never been a better time. I love the name of your show. It's like super catchy to me. Well, you know, it's appealing to me. <laughs> like angry Americans. Where do I sign up? 
Do, do we do that in a room with all of these car simulators? Yes. Well, there, there, there are some notable people who will remain really? nameless. Sure. Who told me the name was too much? Okay. And they wouldn't come on the show. <gasps> Honestly. Well, he said, you know, it's a little too much. It's a little too scary. Well, you know, I'm not angry, and you know, some of it's like sure. overly theoretical. It's so silly. It, yeah. Everybody's got stuff they're angry about, I think and it's so. really like I think so. Or everybody's and got it's okay. It's it, it, we need to talk about it, and, and you can feel better, and to know you're not alone. That's a big part of the theme of the show. Is there's a community around the show. Yes. But we also you know, want to also add inspiration and, and, and some positivity. So Sam B, what makes you happy? My family makes me, that is like the ultimate, that is ultimate happiness for me. My family, my children make me so happy. I can't even tell you. They are my everything. They're everything to me. I go home at night. It's like, it's like safety. I don't know. I just feel remade at the end of every day when I go home and I'm with my kids. We, I love them so much. Everything I do, I feel, is really for them, like to give them a, a good life and put good, well-rounded, good human beings, like to make them better human beings than me and my husband, like to produce offspring who can exceed what we have done or just be better in general. It's the greatest joy of my life. Like, it's my birthday in a couple of weeks and my husband's taking me away. We've been married for 18 years and all I wanted to do on this birthday was go away. Just like be somewhere else, just wake up in another country, just Mm -hmm. three days, whatever, no big deal. And so everyone's like, Oh, it's just you and Jason. Are you guys going away? And I'm like, no, we're bringing our children. We want, we're a family. Mm. We're together. We love each other. I, I'm trying to keep them small by giving them coffee and cigarettes so they never grow up. <laughs> I'm kind of really trying to stunt their growth and development so they won't always live with me and love me. And they can have the grapes. <laughs> no grape banning going on in your well, generation. Well, I'm buying the ethical grapes. Right, absolutely. Well, <laughs> I think that you you are setting an incredible example. And I think in times like this, you know, family is so critical. And not just real family, but also the spirit of family and respect and love and compassion and teaching and um, I think that that oozes out of everything you do and everything you touch. And your your audience is kind of an extended family. It really Don't is. you think, honestly, that like in this time when I really, truly feel like the country is in crisis, that you have met better people, like hordes of amazing people that you never would have met otherwise? 100%. 100%. And, and I, I think the, genera- the post-9-11 generation is potentially our next greatest generation. Right. They mean, talk about the World yeah. War II generation that stepped up and did so much. I really think the young people of this country, especially people who were born and raised post 9-11, around 9-11, have a level of of awakening and connection mm-hmm. and activism. Yeah. Right? Like when I came home and started IVA in like 2004, the idea of like marching in the streets was radical. Right. Right? It was like nobody's going to march in the streets. Now it's like a weekly fucking thing. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's where kids go on a Friday night. It's like, Hey, let's go down it's the great. climate March. And like that, that it's become cool, I think is one of the greatest silver linings. And there's also as a parent, you know, oftentimes when Bush would come on TV, I'd look at the TV and I was an activist. So he'd come on, he'd say some dumb shit. And I'm like, all right, there's my coffee. I'm ready to go. Right. Right. He would motivate me every morning. And then Obama was really an example. I think mm-hmm. just as a person, and um, I was starting a family when, when he was president and now I have kids under Trump and I try to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And my son 
<laughs> so so uh, he came up with this. He says Trump is like the Grinch. He's four. Right. And so he says he's, he's the Grinch. He's grumpy. He's mean. Mm-hmm. And he came up with that because he's watching. And if Trump can be the anti-example, right. I'm okay with that. Like if I say to him, don't be like that guy. Yeah. Don't be that kid in the class. Don't be the bad kid. Don't be the rude kid. Don't be the mean kid. Right. Then maybe there's you know a silver lining in that too that he mm. can be what not to be like for an entire generation. Sure, and and I think that's real. I mean, it, it's not you know it's still completely and totally fucked up. And who knows what crazy shit he said just in the hour we've been sitting here. I God only knows. But but um, voices like yours are multiplying. And yours. And well, I appreciate that. And I have a final thanks to you. Uh, we do a giving of the gifts. <gasps> Which you is a do? ceremonial part of the show. I, yes. I didn't bring a gift. I just you don't brought have an to. old you're the, you're, apple. You're the guest. So we have oh my three God, things thank you. for you um, in this. We, our bags are getting fancier. We didn't even Should I? To, do I open please it? Please open it. Yes. Okay. And I can Let even hold your mic if you I'll want. I'll put this here. So there's three things. Oh God. So this is great. Uh, some merch. Nice. And it says angry oh on the front. God. So you can use that. I and it's American it. made by veterans. Love it. And. Oh my God, and we got you blue. Great. Thank and then you. this is a, a different part of the show. And okay. I'll ask you to pick your mic up so folks can hear your. Okay. So every guest since we yep. started the show, I mm-hmm. think we're on episode 29. Okay. Uh, has been asked to choose between three colors of peeps. Okay. I know Pink, what my choice is. Blue or yellow. Sam B, which would you choose and why? I would choose yellow because that's the color of actual chicks. Hmm. And I would want to eat an actual chicken. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just feels more natural. That's, that's like, it. Like, yeah, they're like organic, right? Because they're, they're actual. The it's just a, a box of chicks. They're the natural. Well, yep. there's a thing about blue being like an unnatural color. You shouldn't eat blue in nature because it's okay. poison. Oh, that and Sarah makes Jessica Parker called uh, the yellow peeps the OG of peeps. I agree. Right? I agree with that. Yeah. That's a that's solid. That's a consensus. Now. Okay. okay. And then lastly, we pick a a uh, an, an American based. <gasps> Something you. for you. Each, oh my God, each guest right. gets a bottle of something different. So this is Fort Hamilton whiskey. That's awesome. It's uh it's a new whiskey that's made in honor of Fort Hamilton. Oh my god. Uh, which is named after Hamilton. And yes. I think you have been a truth teller. And Fort Hamilton is also um like a bulk ward. It's a fort mm-hmm. that was designed to guard mm-hmm. New York City. And I really feel like your work has been <gasps> a guardian of our democracy. This is and wonderful. I say that with that's not a joke. The work you're doing and the work you've done throughout your career, and especially in the last couple of years, is so important as a protector of our democracy. Can I do my work drunk? Yes. Thank you. I assumed you had been doing that all along. (laughs) (laughs) We have to be. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Patriot, and we're so I'm so grateful you spent so much time with us. I'm just grateful for your work. Oh my god! And we're all looking forward to the app and seeing if Andrew Yang. Well, you're gonna have to come on the show. You're gonna have to come on this show anytime. I will drink and eat peeps. Perfect, ladies and gentlemen. The amazing Samantha B. Live from the Classic Car Club here in New York. Thank you. You guys have heard me talk about Oscar Mike. It's a veteran-owned, American-made lifestyle apparel brand that exists to support the Oscar Mike Foundation, which is a nonprofit. Their goal is simple. Keep veterans on the move in every aspect of their life and inspire everybody around them to do the same. And... They got killer gear, awesome clothes that are also affordable, sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, even yoga gear. I've talked about this before. They got stuff for men. They got stuff for women. uh, And it's really, really awesome. So go to oscarmike.org. And this is 100% made in the USA by veterans, not made in China, not made in Turkey, 
only made by Americans in Illinois and across America. Really cool stuff. It's stuff that you can be proud of. And I've told you before about my favorites. There is a piece of gear that I think is the coolest, which is a Honest Abe Lincoln with tattoos. Check it out. You can also see water bottles, stickers, and lifelines. If you don't know what a lifeline is, it's very cool. Lifelines are hand-wound from the same 550-pound tested parachute cord. We call it 550 cord, used in World War II to attach soldiers to their parachutes. It's not just an all-purpose survival tool. It also looks really cool on your wrist. It's pretty much the coolest bracelet you'll ever have. And it's also got all this cord in case you need it. You can use it to climb a mountain. You can use it for a tourniquet. You can use it for a slingshot. I don't know. Come up with really cool things to use it for and tweet them at me, and we'll be really excited to share it. But they are made in the USA, and they are very cool. So check out the Lifeline bracelets that are at the Oscar Mike website and all the other gear. Oscar Mike, they're keeping veterans on the move, and it's made in the USA. And tell them Angry Americans sent you. All right, it's time to turn your anger, frustration, inspiration, agony, laughter into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Now, there's a movie coming about Mr. Rogers. Maybe you've seen the preview, and I hope you're as excited about it as I am. And building on that, every show, we offer a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action, an action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans, something that'll channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with four eyes, integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Everyone needs a laugh, and sometimes nothing is more powerful, except for maybe one U.S. service member. Donald Trump and Rand Paul have been shitting on our soldiers. They've been dismissing how much just a few dozen of them could do. Well, yet again, they are not informed. But you're going to be. Last week, you probably missed this. It was announced that the nation's highest combat medal will be awarded to a Green Beret who fought up a mountain while under intense enemy fire to help rescue four wounded members of his team pinned down by gunfire. The clash took place on April 6, 2008, in the Shock Valley of Afghanistan during a joint U.S.-Afghan raid to kill or capture a high-value leader, Master Sergeant Matthew O. Williams, previously received the Silver Star for his action while serving as a weapons sergeant with the Special Forces Operational Detachment Alpha 3336 during the raid. Well, President Trump will award Williams an upgrade to the Medal of Honor on October 30th at the White House. Master Sergeant Williams represents the best of what America's all about. The courage, integrity, loyalty, duty. And it's the values that we need to reflect on right now. And the values that our troops in Syria represent right now, no matter how many or how few of them are. Master Sergeant Williams is not the only one who's shown what one service member can do. So here's your homework. Go to the Congressional Medal of Honor Society website. It's pretty simple. C-M-O-H-S-H.org. That's Charlie Mike Oscar Hotel Sierra.org. 
Go to the website. The mission is to perpetuate the Medal of Honor's legacy through outreach and collaborative efforts. They raise funds for initiatives that promote what the Medal of Honor represents and the operation of the Medal of Honor Society headquarters, public service activities, and they promote the values and qualities of courage, sacrifice, and patriotism through increased awareness, education, behavior, and example. And if you go to that website, you can see all the examples. And here's the history of the award. On December 9th, 1861, Iowa Senator James Grimes introduced S-82 in the United States Senate, a bill that was designed to promote the efficiency of the Navy by authorizing the production and distribution of medals of honor. On December 21st, the bill was passed, authorizing that 200 such medals be produced, which shall be bestowed upon such petty officers, seamen, landsmen, and marines, as shall distinguish themselves by their gallantry in action and other seamen-like qualities during the present war, which was the Civil War. President Lincoln signed the bill, and the Medal of Honor was born in 1861. The Army Medal of Honor and others would come later. But according to the Medal of Honor Historical Society, there have been 3,524 Medals of Honor awarded to individuals since the decoration's creation, with over 40% of them coming during the Civil War. But every Medal of Honor is an example of what an American service member can do, what one person can do, what one helper can do. Your action this week is simple. Go to the website and learn their stories. Congressional Medal of Honor Society. That's the website, cmohs.org. Be informed, be inspired. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. All right, everybody. Big thanks to some key people who made this episode, this important episode, this fun episode happen. Samantha B. She's an amazing American. Big shout out to Sarah on her team. And Full Frontal with Samantha B. airs every Wednesday at 1030 on TBS. Check it out. And her app is coming. It's called This Is Not a Game, The Game, which she told you about. It'll be available very soon. And I think the Yang Gang will be all over it. I hope you will be, too. And go to Angry Americans for the full video of this interview and all our recent interviews. Do it! Just do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Just do it! Some people dream of success while you're going to wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. You should get to the point where anyone else would quit, and you're not going to stop there. No, what are you waiting for? Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. That's Shia LaBeouf's Just Do It motivational video. It just motivates me, and I hope will motivate you. Uh, Motivated by so many other people who've been helping out. Of course, creative Chris Rosenthal, Roy Velchek, Mighty Mercy Rich, the whole rock star team at Righteous Media. They power this show and all the platforms and content around it. I want to thank CNN, MSNBC, and SiriusXM for having me on the last week to try to raise some of these issues. 
Uh, Big Bill Schultz, thank you for producing this episode. You are a magician now and always. Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out their new designs at angryamericans.us. Big thanks to Chris Cuomo for giving me an opportunity to guest host for him twice this week. And thanks to SiriusXM and our producer over there, Vicky Vergalina, and all the folks who are listening who called in and supported that show. And it's time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I'll thank a few angry Americans just like you for listening. But before we do, we've offered you a new way to sound off, a new way to be part of this show and this movement. And if you missed it, we now have an Angry Americans phone line. You, yes, you, you, over there, driving that car. Yes, you. Tell us what's got you angry. And I'll make you famous. I'll make you famous. All right. If you don't know, the number is 833-33-ANGRY. We came up with that one. 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-332-6479. Call, leave a voicemail, tell us what's got you angry, and we'll use it in a future show just like this. Here's another great caller sounding off. Grace Leterrick, Buffalo, New York. I am really angry and emotional about us abandoning our allies, the Kurds. They are being slaughtered, and we are now untrustworthy, and that has me very upset and very emotional. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. We hear you. We are emotional, too, and you're not alone. Uh, know this is a community that supports you and hears you, and maybe your 4-in-1 Buffalo Bills will help ease your pain a little bit. Uh, but if you want to be like Grace, call the number 833-33-ANGRY. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us what's got you angry, and we might use it on a future show. All right, some other folks to thank. First off, Ken Nuttall, my old friend. I haven't seen him in a long time. He and his wife, Brenda, are now regular listeners and awesome people. Want to give a big shout-out to them and their son, and best of luck on their move down to Delaware. Ken told me he really liked the Cuomo and Maddow episodes, and he said it was really interesting to hear about them as people. Uh, he also liked the ones we do at 9-11 Hero, Rob Sarah, and he said that he hadn't appreciated the issues that our 9-11 first responders had. So many folks have told me that. It's part of why we do this show, and it's really good to hear. Ken also told me he likes the interviews because you get to hear who people are and not just about their politics. He also told me he wishes they were shorter, which I hear and I appreciate. He suggested it might be interesting if we have a happy American segment and talk about good things that are happening in America because the world does seem very negative at times, which was great feedback. It's part of why I did the show last week with Mark Roberge from OAR and tried to keep it positive. If you haven't heard that one, go back and check it out. But Ken, you're a positive guy, and I'm thankful that you and Brenda are listening. Also thankful to Rose Shannon. She's in Connecticut. She tweets at Rose underscore Shannon 6. She is assignment editor uh, and AP at News 12 in Connecticut. She's a Marist Red Fox, which is up in Dutchess County, New York, a news and politics junkie, and one of those people always watching Bravo TV. I feel you, Rose. I'm watching Bravo a lot, too. Vanderpump Rules is my jam. Uh, she said she's very late to the game, but Angry Americans podcast is so good. Can't stop binge listening to it from the beginning. Highly recommended listening. Thank you, Rose. Appreciate your support and appreciate the work you do as a journalist at News 12 in Connecticut. Also appreciate Lisa Lenscold from Wilton, Connecticut. She tweets at Lisa Lenscold. She is a Norwalk Public School District wellness chair which is a cool and important job. She's co-founder of Norwalk Grows, which connects school gardens, food systems, farming, and the youth voice. 
which is really cool. So thanks for doing that, Lisa. She said, uh, I got to say, I've been listening since the beginning and Angry Americans is getting better and better with each episode. Love the music escape from the headlines this week. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Lisa. Appreciate what you're doing, especially for the kids. Big shout out to Bill Putnam, a.k.a. Son of Oregon. Bill is in Oregon now. He tweets it at Bill Putnam Photo. His bio says he's here for the snark, son of Oregon, Hemlin devotee, Capitals, and uh, now Portland Winterhawks homer. Huge fan of Ginger Snap Cookies, and he is from America. Uh, Look, Bill Putnam is a fantastic photographer. I've known him for a long time, and I definitely recommend you check out his photos, Bill Putnam Photo. He tweeted that he was listening to the Mark Robert's interview and reminded us that he was the photographer with me and Drowning Pool on the hill when we met Barack Obama, which is really cool. He posted the photo. You can find that on the Angry Americans Twitter page, and he has the photo of Barack Obama, Drowning Pool, and me on Capitol Hill, which was apparently September 19th, 2007. Check out that photo. It's on the Angry Americans Twitter page, but also check out all of Bill's photos. He's a really talented guy, and I'm grateful for his support. So keep the feedback coming, and use the hashtag Angry Americans and sound off. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. As always, thanks to my family, my amazing wife, and two little lions. Last weekend, for the long weekend, we went upstate New York, which I highly recommend. We were up in the Catskills between New Paul's and Woodstock near the Mohonk Reserve and the Miniwaska State Park and Sundown Wild Forest. It's in Ulster County, and it's gorgeous. Such an amazing piece of America. Uh, We also went to the Pine Ridge Dude Ranch, which is really cool. Got my kids on some horses, and we got away out in some nature, which was awesome. Um, So big shout out to upstate New York and all the outdoor areas this fall that are really so spectacular. Encourage you to get out there solo with your family, whatever. Just go for a walk in the woods. It'll be good for you. Uh, And as always, my thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, you know the deal. Leave the show a quick review. And of course, go to angryamericans.us. We got videos, we got information, we got bios, we got ways to get involved. And use the hashtag angryamericansalways, and I might thank you in a future episode. But keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you, I hear you, and I am with you. Next week, we will be back with another fresh new show and a new guest. And it's another big one. Unless the schedule changes next week, we will have our first presidential candidate on this show. Yes, one of the 12 that was on the stage this week in Ohio will be joining you and me on this podcast next week. It will definitely be inspiring. It will be informative. And I'm pretty sure controversial. So look for that. And subscribe now at angryamericans.us or on your Apple device. You'll have it hot and fresh waiting for you on Thursday morning at 0 dark 30, just like this was. That's 0301 a.m. Eastern Time. And West Coast, it's right after midnight, but it's just in time for your Thursday commute to work. And until then, stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share, and we'll keep this movement growing week by week. You will not be able to stay home, brother. And remember, everybody, it's okay to be angry and know you're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention. We are definitely paying attention. And together... 
we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. And keep laughing. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Stay vigilant.